Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, where two best friends tell each other stories about history, true crime, and other shenanigans. I'm Courtney. And I'm not Ashley. <laughs> I'm Rachel. Yeah, so today we're having, a, we had a little tiff. Ashley couldn't record this week because she lives in New England, and as most people know, um, winter is shitting on them. So there was a family thing that she has to take care of and wasn't able to record. So we're lucky Rachel stepped in and Rachel and I were roommates. It was a lot of fun for me and her. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I only like you consider when you- being squished fun <laughs> and getting locked out on the patio fun. <laughs> I only did that once. You did it more than once. I have a whole video. I only took pictures of it once. I locked you in your own room, which was funny because you weren't actually locked in there. Because it wasn't lock my, was on the my brightest moment. Yeah. So Ashley's topic will be next week when hopefully she's back. Though apparently they're getting more snow. So everyone just send happy thoughts to New England that it'll warm up. And a little here too. Yeah. You don't. You're in Columbus, so it's not as bad for you. No, but it's cold. It is cold. Cleveland keeps getting the butt of the nor'easters, and I'm not pleased. I'm sorry. The dog loves it. That's all that matters. <laughs> Schnitzel loves everything. So today, we're going to talk about Amelia Elizabeth Dreyer, Dyer, um, which someone recommended, and I'm sorry, I don't remember who, so if it was you, good job. And um, I'm going to put a little warning. This involves baby death, so Ugh. either skip forward at certain points Go wait for next episode or pour yourself a heavy drink, as I have. Oh, I would. But like I said, I have to work early in the morning and I have t- to teach little children. So probably shouldn't do that hungover. <laughs> Can you teach Chinese hungover? No. <laughs> and I can't okay. even put on a video. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Amelia was born in 1838. She was the youngest of five, so there were three brothers and a sister in the small village of Pyle Marsh, east of Bristol, and it's now known as Pyle Marsh, and she was the daughter of a master shoemaker, um, Samuel Hobbley and Sarah Hobbley Wymouth. Perfect. It's a long <laughs> last name. So she learned to read and write, and actually was pretty proficient it, um, with literature and poetry, but... Her childhood was kind of tragic because her mother had mental illness from typhus. Oh, yeah. Um, that's you can get that from drinking water, right? Bad water. Yeah, yeah. Don't mm-hmm. drink the water. <laughs> drink whiskey. <laughs> exactly. Alcohol kills all the germs. Oh yes. Amelia had to witness her mom's violent fits and took care of her until her mother died raving in uh, 1848. So she was 10 years old. So Amelia gets packed up to live with her aunt in Bristol for a while and serves as an apprentice for a corset maker. You know, just suck all the organs in. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So when her father dies in 1859, her oldest brother inherits the family shoe business. And by the age of 24, Amelia is estranged from at least one of her brothers and moves to new lodgings in Bristol. There she marries her husband, George Thomas. He's got two first names. His is so much simpler than hers. I know. She probably was so excited to get married to spell a less complicated name. I know, right? 
Um, so George was 59 and they both lied about their age to reduce the age gap on their marriage certificate because, you know, creepy. So that's where the trend started. (laughs) He took off 11 years and she added six years. So she made herself 30 um, and he made himself 48. So it's less creepy. Less, less creepy. Eh, yeah. For that time period, probably. Not as much. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) so during this first couple of years, she trained it as a nurse, which was a respectable job and it provided a useful skill. But she uh, gains contact with a midwife, Ellen Dane, where she learned a better way of making a living, using her own home to privately lodge women who had illegally conceived a child out of wedlock, and then either getting the babies adopted or allowing them to die of neglect. Interesting. Her, I'm going to say teacher, Ellen Dane, was forced to scamp off to the U.S., uh, because she gained the attention of the authorities, and apparently they don't look highly upon dead babies. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why. I don't know. So, the reason why this is able to thrive at the time is unmarried mothers in Victorian England really couldn't make a living, especially since the 1834 Poor Law Amendment Act took away any obligation of the fathers for Ill- illegitimate children, and... This is already adding on to the fact that single parenthood and illegitimate children were stigmatized. Hush, hush. Yeah. You need you need that baby daddy. <laughs> I've never had one. <laughs> no, you're married. You have a legitimate baby daddy. I have no baby, so I have half. <laughs> you have you have animals, which is I have better. Fur babies. Mm-hmm. One's in jail right now. Yay! Azula's <laughs> in kitty jail. <laughs> That's what happens when you tear up the toilet paper while your owner is gone. Again? Again. So basically because of this act and societal pressures, baby farming, which is the creepiest name for it. Yeah. Sounds like some alien thing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Set up where individuals could act for adoption or fostering agents in return for getting regular payments or upfront fee. Or getting an upfront fee. Yeah, you got this. (laughs) From the mothers. And many of them basically take in the women until they give birth and then look after the kids. This kind of gets really exploited quickly because, you know, if you have a well-off family who wants to keep the baby secret, you might get charged as much as 80 pounds up for the time. Um, Maybe 50 pounds if the father wanted to hush up the fact that it was his child. But for most women who didn't want to go into the workhouse, it would often be about five pounds, which was still quite a bit. So, you know. What would would that be, like, nowadays? Okay. And. Sorry, I didn't mean to stump you. Okay, so five pounds in 1840 has the buying power of um, about $580 today. Wow, that's a lot. But if you want to make a living and you don't want to kind of have to fear the workhouse, it's kind of worth it. Yeah, I could see that. So. Kids are expensive. Yeah. Well, the cares sometimes would resort, if they were less than reputable, would resort to uh, starving the babies or helping along death. Okay. (laughs) 
So some noisier, demanding babies would be sedated with alcohol or opiates. And, you know, if any mothers came back and they wanted to check on their baby and the baby was, like, not well, you can't really go to the police because you had a child out of wedlock. And, you know, it's like this weird gray legality measure. Yep. And at the time, most authorities had trouble tracking missing children, as is. So this is what Amelia now gets herself into, because she leaves nursing with the birth of her daughter, Ellen Thomas. And especially because in 1869, her husband, George Thomas, died. And, you know, she's got to eat. She's got to feed her kid. Yep. So... The way Amelia would run her baby farming business would be take in the mother, who she would advertise to nurse, um, adopt the baby in return for a one-off payment that was pretty hefty, and adequate clothing for the child. So the mom's like, okay, it seems like a good deal. She wants clothing, so she's obviously not going to kill the baby. Mm -hmm. Um, So she, she goes and meets with the clients. She's like, don't worry, I'm I'm a, a wife, and I have my own child. I have a good home. Everything will be great. Your child will be happy with me. That sounds misleading. Yeah. So after a while, Amelia decided it's too expensive and too difficult to keep taking care of all these fucking babies. There's babies everywhere in my house, and I have to take care of all of them, and it's expensive. It sounds like your house with all the animals. A little bit, but we're down to four, so it's good. Whoa. Uh, And so soon after she got the money for the kids, she just started straight up murdering them and was making a hefty dividend on that. She was like, I don't even know. (laughs) Um, So when Dyer would result the attention of the police, um, she the first time was in... 1879 a doctor got really suspicious like hey there's a lot of dead babies in this woman's care so i should probably contact the police and be like hey this is really hella suspicious how did but um, how did he find them did she bring them to him well you have to well yeah because she had to certify that they were dead so she kept calling the doctor be like hey another dead baby don't know what's happening (laughs) no idea i just it must be something yeah. So, what do you think she got convicted of? Mm, fraud. No. Uh, she got uh, convicted for six months hard labor for neglect. Okay. I was going to say, I would have guessed murder, but based on your, your question, uh, probably not the case. But neglect is a, is uh, a close second to, to, you know, to, to murdering people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So... This pretty much hardens her mentally. I mean, she's a little nuts after she gets out, but everyone's like, that's a pretty fucking light sentence for killing a bunch of babies. <laughs> that's exactly what um, they said, too. Oh, direct In quote. the newspaper. <laughs> it's pretty light. London yes. Times. Woman gets pretty light sentence for killing a ton of fucking babies. Um, so she gets out of her hard labor, and she's like, I'm going to go back to nursing. I can make a living as this. So... However, she kind of was still mentally fucked up from the hard labor and kept going in and out of mental hospitals because of the instability and she was a little suicidal. But Probably should have made better life decisions. Yeah. She uh, 
always tended to go into mental institutions when it was convenient, you know, say, like... Oh, the insanity plea? Well, it was more like the cops were getting suspicious, so she's like, I'm insane. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm sure she probably had some other issues, but it just, like, it kept lining up every time they were getting, like, ton of dead babies. Like, oh, I'm mad. (laughs) And she knew how to work the system because she was a nurse. She could get a comfortable life in there. Also, she was definitely an alcoholic and a drug addict because, you know, alcohol and opium at the time were very popular. Yeah, I know one country that learned that the hard way. Yeah. Um, so that probably didn't really help her mental state. Nope. And then there was one case in 1890 where Amelia was caring for the illegitimate baby of a governess. And when she returns the child, the governess is like, I don't think this is my baby. And so she strips the baby down because it had a birthmark on one of its hips. And it wasn't her baby. Dun, dun, dun. Switched it birth. Weird. So... Um, again, Amelia has a mental breakdown. And I'm all like, if you have a normal mental breakdown, fine. But this woman knew how to con the system. Yeah, it seemed to, like you said, be a little too predictive. Yeah, especially because at one point she drank two bottles of laudum, which is like opium liquid form, in an attempt to commit suicide. But she had such a opium tolerance that it didn't do anything. That's not good. Yeah. So when she gets back to baby farming, because it's always what she goes back to. Solid um, job. It's a solid job. Job security. Uh, you know, people are going to have illegitimate children. They're going to need to farm those babies. Yep. Are they? I'm, I shouldn't be making jokes. I'm sure most but... of them didn't. I'm sure most of them didn't die. Hopefully, yeah. They were either. Just most of them in her care. So, so long as they weren't in her care, they survived. Oh, we'll find out about that okay. at the end. Um, so. Amelia's like, you know what got me caught every time? I keep using doctors for death certificates, so I should stop using that. So no more doctors checking in on the baby. Got it. So is she then going to forge her own? Um, We'll see what she does. So Amelia, basically to get rid of police attention, kept changing addresses, um, getting new businesses, and having a bunch of aliases. So she's basically trying to be Carmen Sandiego, but in a horrible oh, way. Thank goodness she didn't have to forward her mail every time. Can you imagine? <laughs> to be like, we don't know where to send this. <laughs> Come get your mail. Oh my god, the police just follow her forward <laughs> addresses. Like, damn it, she moved again. Oh. <laughs> so, um, so she has another breakdown in 1893 because, you know, cops are after her. At the Wells Mental Asylum. But she had a very disagreeable experience at the asylum and says, not again. That's the last one she was in. So about two years later, that's 1895, she moves to British town names, Caversham, Berkshire, and accompanied an unsuspecting associate, Jane Smith, who Amelia had recruited when she was in the workhouse. And Amelia's daughter and a and son-in-law, um, as well as Marianne and Arnold Paul Ar- Arthur Palmer. <laughs> Arnold, Arnold Palmer. Palmer. The, <laughs> the golfer go- and drink did not hang out with them. Now, did her family know what she was doing? Or were they just kind of oblivious to everything? 
It's debated, but I'm going to go with if there's that many babies coming in and out of this house, how do you not and, know? Yeah. I, I don't know how you don't notice something. It's it's suspicious. You might just, yeah, you might just think it's weird. So you're like, okay, this is really, really weird. And then go with it. But um, so there was a reason why she had a bunch of these women around her and her son-in-law and Arthur Palmer. Um, they moved to reading in Berkshire at that year and she persuades smith to refer to her as mother in front of the women so it like looks like she has a grown daughter like look at i have my own daughter i would never do anything to your children okay mother but we're gonna get into one of the cases that i could find and we'll kind of show you like what actually went down and then we'll look at some pictures so i can make rachel really regret agreeing to do this can't wait <laughs> Okay, so we're going to talk about the murder of Doris Marmon by Amelia. So in January of 1896, Evelina Marmon, who was a 25-year-old barmaid, gave birth to an gave birth to an illegitimate daughter, Doris. I'm not sure how I feel about the name. In a boarding house in Cheltenham, she looks for offers of adoption and placed an advertisement under miscellaneous section. <laughs> Which sounds like the most interesting section to just look at shit. I bet it would be fun. It was like the Victorian time Craigslist. Oh my god. That would be great. If there's a mis miscellaneous section murder, like Craigslist murders. Okay. So she her ad read, wanted respectable woman to take child because she wanted to go back to work and hopefully like get like marry and like reclaim her child, yes. you know? Funny enough, next to her own advertisement read, Married couple with no family would adopt healthy child, nice country home, terms 10 pounds. So basically, there's a perfectly normal family like, hey, we would like a child, just needs to be healthy, right next to her ad. Irony! Yes. Um, so, a Miss Harding responded to the ad, and she, um, she re received a response, and they meet... In Reading, because she was like, I would love Dyer, who's posing as Miss Harding, said, I would be glad to have a little dear baby girl, one I could bring up and call my own. We are plain, homely people in fairly good circumstances. I don't want a child for money's sake, sake, but for company and home comfort. Myself and my husband are dearly fond of children, and I have no children of my own. A child with me will have a good home and a mother's love. Aww. So sweet. Evelina wanted to pay like a like a, a weekly fee to take care of her daughter to make sure like you know that she it was going to be consistent she can ensure the care of her child. Mm -hmm. Well, Mrs. Harding really was like just give me a one-off payment and we'll call it even. And since Evelina was really up a creek without a paddle, she agreed to pay the 10 pounds, which okay, so 10 pounds in 1896 is about $1,500. That's a lot of money. I understand why Evelina wanted to pay a weekly fee, because damn. That's damn. probably like her whole life savings right there. Yeah, pretty much, but you know. So when they meet up uh, about a week later in Cheltenham, Marmon was kind of surprised that Amelia was kind of older and in stockier, but she seemed pretty affectionate towards Doris, and she hands over her daughter in a cardboard box of clothes and the 10 pounds. Wait, she handed over her daughter in a cardboard box or with a cardboard box that had clothes in it? 
her daughter, comma, a cardboard box of clothes, comma, and 10 pounds. No, her daughter wasn't just wrapped up in all the clothes in a cardboard box. That'd be a lot of clothes. Um, So because she wanted to make sure that um, Amelia was doing right by her daughter, she accompanies her to Cheltenham Station, and then she goes on to Gloucester, um, or at least that's what she thinks. She returns home kind of really wrecked because she's she just gave up her yeah, child. Yeah, I could understand how it would take a, a pretty big hit on your emotional stability for a little bit. Yeah, especially because um, I think it was her first child and she's really concerned. Yeah, and it sounds like it was her only option. Yeah, so, but she receives a letter from Mrs. Harding saying, Doris is well, everything's going well, and Evelina writes back but gets no reply. Well, Amelia went back, instead of going to Reading, she went back to her place in London. Her baby farm? Where her, yes, to her baby farm in London, where her 23-year-old daughter, Polly, was staying. Um, Once she got there, and this is, if you do not want to hear the murder of a baby, skip forward about, I'm going to go about a minute or so. Uh, Just warning. Going to give it to you. Disclaimer. So, Amelia finds some white edging tape for dressmaking and strangled the baby with it tying it in a knot to make sure she did the job and it's later said that amelia liked to watch them with the tape around their necks but it would soon be all over with them and her and her daughter allegedly wrapped the body in a blank in a napkin so they kept some of the clothes that they were given by evelina and the rest was going to the pawnbroker she gave she paid the rent to the landlady gave her a pair of of child's boots as a present for her little girl so her landlord's little girl got dead baby gifts oh oh, oh. so many things wrong with that so many things yeah yeah there's a lot of things um so the next day in uh, april 1st 1896 she got another child named harry simmons um but she had no extra tape available so she took it off of Doris's corpse and used it to strangle the 13-month-old boy. And then she stacked, the next day she stacked the bodies into a carpet bag along with bricks to weigh it down, headed for Reading. When she found a secluded spot near a wire weir at Caverstam Lock, she forced the cav- carpet bag through the railings into the River Thames. So if you no longer want to, like, we're done talking about actual murders of dead babies. So if you're skipping, stop. Come back, please. Rachel now is going to have nightmares. I know. I'm sorry. Oh, I just, I died. I don't understand. But I guess I'm not meant to. You needed money. Different time, you know, you need to support yourself. You find a good way of living. It's like a life of crime. You kind of get into it and then you're like, well, this is my life now. I'm a baby farmer. Now I'm just picturing Cabbage Patch Kids. (laughs) Yes. Boop. Okay, if you need a happy thought, picture someone farming Cabbage Patch Kids. Cabbage Patch Kids are happy. But those dolls are kind of creepy at times. Not as creepy as for (laughs) Okay, so on March 30th, 1896, there was a package found on the Thames at at Reading by a bargeman, and it contained a body of a baby girl who was later identified as Helena Fry. So... A small detective force is like, we gotta figure out why there's a dead baby in the river. It's not her male being forward. No. Nope. There shouldn't be a dead baby in the no. river. There shouldn't How be anything dead in the, a river, but 
Or at least... You've obviously never been to Lake Erie. There's a lot of oh, bad things Oh, I went there. to... Sorry, this is kind of off topic. I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and we just watched the fish basically swim to their death in the Cuyahoga River. Um, yes, that is accurate. Amongst trash. Da 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 da, dead body. Okay, <laughs> Naturally. So, baby package shows up in the river. They're like, not normal. Um, Did they <laughs> confiscate it because it was an unattended baggage? Uh, they confiscated it because it was a dead baby okay. in the river. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I feel horrible laughing, but it's the only way I can get through this. Gallows humor. Gallows humor. Okay, so. A detective constable, which is the best way to call it, Anderson made a crucial breakthrough. He had the light bulb above his head. He was a regular Sherlock Holmes. Got it. He found a label from the Temple Mead station in Bristol, and he used microscopic analysis of the wrapping paper and deciphered a faintly legible name. What name? Mrs. Thomas. And there was an address. <gasps> so she done it fucked up. An address? An address! How how current was it? Oh, this name of Mrs. Thomas and an address didn't lead the police to Amelia, but they, like, it, they could find her, but they were like, I can't say it's definitely her who put the baby in the river. So what do they do? They have a stakeout! Yes! Because they're like, if we... An old-fashioned stakeout. Yes, we're having an old-fashioned stakeout, because if she sees us, she's gonna bolt. And they're gaining more information about this woman. They're like, do they have a white van and everything? Um, They didn't have vans. So maybe they had a white covered cart. (laughs) I don't know. A white wagon. (laughs) Azula! I'm sorry. My animals keep distracting. Oh, someone broke out of kitty jail, I see. Kitty jail! Her sentence is over. Uh, Evie! Evie! She can't hear you because I have headphones. So... They decided they're going to have a decoy. They're going to do a secret agent. Ooh. They're going to have a young woman hoping to use Amelia's services. And then they're going to arrest her. This is starting to sound like a Sting Law operation. Order episode. <laughs> dun dun! I should not have drank this much whiskey, but I don't care. I, I knew this episode was going to be bad, so I used a heavy pour. Eh, eh, you know, you do what you have to do. So... They, she opens the door expecting a new client, but instead they're, de- they're detectives. I'm going to just assume it's iced tea and detective Steve. Yes. Because it's a sexist world at this time, guys. And I just want it to be iced tea and detective stapler. <laughs> now, did they announce themselves as detectives? Because I feel like that would defeat the purpose of going undercover. I have no idea. So on April 3rd, they raid her house. Ice tea and detective <laughs> stapler walk in the door and they're like, it smells like death. It smells like death in here. Definitely the smell of death. Good observation. Good observation. Ice tea, do you smell death? Yes, Detective Stabler, I smell death. Bot on. Thank you. I do a great iced tea. <laughs> Anyways. Ah, <laughs> oh, keep going. Okay. So, they found no human remains, but lots of other evidence. Like, you know, the white tape for dressmaking. I thought you ran out of it. She got okay. more, I guess. I don't know. She went to Michael's. She said it was her signature, you know, babies with a ripe white bow around their neck. It's just a little too tight. Um, There were some telegrams regarding the adoption arrangements, pawn tickets for children's clothing, receipts for the adverti- advertisements, um, letters from mothers asking about their children, 
all the good stuff Aww. that says, hey, this lady is farming babies. So the police are, like, doing the baby math. They're like, how many babies did she farm in a month? They're like, shit, about 20 minimum. So think about this. She's been doing this for a while. 1869. Okay. So it's been, we're going to do some math. Oh. I thought I was okay. done with that. So it eighteen ninety six minus eighteen sixty nine. She's been doing this for twenty seven years. That's a long time. And it's about twenty children in a few months. I don't, I'm gonna guess few months, about three months. So twenty children every three months for twenty seven years. I'm gonna do some more <laughs> math. Doing some math. Calculator noises. Doing some math. I like how you even have a song. You know me. I love to sing. I think I know where I got it then, because I, okay, my calculations are way off, because at that, at that rate, she would be like about 2,000 children, but they think it's about 500 children, which is a lot better than yeah, my math. that is much better. But we should all know I suck at math, so. You do. Don't you trust do. me. <laughs> but I do as well, so. So why we were great roommates. Um, so, and it, they discovered when they raided her house, she was ready to move again to Somerset. So a whole new area to farm babies. Ugh, stop moving. Moving sucks. Uh, I know. Moving does suck. As someone whose stuff has been in boxes for about six months. <laughs> I don't know where any of my shit is. So they've determined that over a course of decades, she has probably killed about four, over 400 children and babies, making her one of the most prolific murderesses, murderesses <laughs> of all time. Just think about that. I'm trying not to, actually. About 27 years of her killing babies. Ah. Well, she didn't kill them at... F well, let's think about it. She didn't kill them all at first. There was at some point she just was like, fuck it. Okay. So, they... So, they had the baby Helena Fry at from the Thames, and then they have all this evidence. So, Helena Fry had been removed from the Thames on March 30th, but had been given to Amelia on March 5th. So, the baby last lasted 25 days. So she had carried the baby in a brown paper parcel, and uh, basically the smell of the baby made her dump it in the her in the river, but she didn't weigh it properly. That's why they found it. So just think about this: because the other two babies she put in a a carpet bag with bricks, it sunk and it was closed, so like it's not gonna float up. She was doing this mob style with cement shoes. Uh, yeah. So, how deep is the river? I don't know. Let's Google. I'm just full of. Google questions today. I'm making you do extra work. You're never going to want me to come back. It's about 37 feet. That's a lot deeper than I thought. So, yeah. So she's basically dropping babies down 37 feet, which no one no. wants. Please don't do it. Do not. No. Love your children. She was arrested on April 4th and charged as an accept uh, charged with murder. Her son-in-law, Arthur Palmer, was charged as an accessory. They started dragging the Thames, and they found six more bodies, including Doris and Harry's, her last victims. They both had the white tape around their necks, and she told the police was the, the white tape was how you knew you could tell uh, it was one of mine. So basically saying, if it didn't have the white tape around the neck, she didn't kill that baby. Then who did? Another baby farmer? <sighs> so, Evelina... 11 days after handing her daughter over to Amelia, um, identified her daughter's remains. And they, so the, the inquest starts in early May, but they couldn't find any evidence that her daughter uh, 
Mary Ann or Arthur Palmer had acted as Amelia's accomplices. And uh, Amelia wrote her confession, which uh, exonerated Arthur. So get ready for some good, decently educated Victorian writing. Sir, will you kindly grant me this favor of presenting this to the magistrates on Saturday the 18th instant? I have made this statement out for I may not have the opportunity and then I must re- rele- relieve my mind. I do not know and my days are numbered on this earth, but I do not feel it is an awful thing. Uh, drawing innocent people into trouble, I do not know. I shall, I shall not have answer. Be- I, sh- I shall have to answer before my Maker in heaven for the awful crimes I have committed. But as God Almighty is my judge in heaven and uh, and on her hearth, neither my daughter Mary Ann Palmer nor her husband Alfred Ernest Palmer, I do not, I do most solemnly declare, neither of them had anything to do with it. They never knew I contemplated doing such a wicked thing. Until it was too late, I am speaking the truth and nothing but the truth as I hope to be forgiven. My, I myself and I alone must stand before my maker in heaven to give an answer for it all, for it all witness my hand, Amelia Dreyer. So she basically said, I killed all the babies by myself. And what does she think is going to happen if she dies? God's going to be like, yeah, whatever. You know, you made a mistake. Yeah. It's Okay. On May 22nd, Amelia appeared at the Old Bailey and pleaded guilty to one murder, that of Doris Marmon. Um, so her family and associates were like, testified at the trial, they're like, yeah, we were kind of getting concerned. It seemed weird that there were a lot of dead babies at her house, and her house kind of smelled like death. And she only confessed and, to one? Yeah, they could only get her on one. What about the... Uh, that's. Anyways. They kind of discovered that Amelia had basically escaped being discovered murdering babies on several occasions. Uh, there was a gentleman who had seen uh, seen and spoken to Amelia when she had disposed of the two bodies at the Caversham lock. Uh, and his daughter had given graphic evidence that basically convicted her. Dyer tried to uh, plead insanity since she had been committed twice to asylums in Bristol. But the prosecution's like, bitch, please, See, you keep doing this to avoid prosecution. She seemed pretty level-headed when she was writing that letter. Yeah. Um, and they basically point out both times were when she was almost caught before. Want to guess how long the jury took to convict her? An hour. Four and a half minutes to find her guilty. So she was three weeks in her cell before her execution, hanging out with books. <laughs> Which she called her last true and only confession. I thought you were going to say her last true and only friend. Books. I mean, really. So she was subpoenaed to appear as a witness in her daughter Polly's trial for murder, which was a week after her execution. But since she was already legally dead once sentenced, they were like, yeah, no, that evidence is inadmissible. So fuck She's no. dead. She's gone. She's going to be dead at the time, so we're not going to postpone yeah. her death. Um, Amelia received good news on the eve of her execution that the charges against Polly had been dropped. She was hung by James Billington at Newgate Prison, Wednesday, June 10th, 1896. And her last words were, I have nothing to say. So, so So, profound. Yeah. So the scandal that was caused by the Dyer case um, caused her to be known as the Ogress of Reading. 
and she got a ballad named after her or made up after her. Do you want to hear it? If it's going to be in your beautiful singing voice. I'll have to sing. Okay. The old baby farmer, the wretched Mrs. Dreyer, at the old bailey, her wages is paid. And a long time ago, we'd have made a big fryer and roasted so nicely that wicked old Jade. That wicked old what? Jade. So. I'm shocked it didn't become like a kid's nursery rhyme or something. Oh, like Marianne Cotton? Yeah. Yeah, no, it probably was. Kids were probably singing this in the street. Because. <laughs> being sung in bars, like. Because that's what kids do. As a result, adoption and um, of other cases, adoption laws were stricter and gave local authorities power to place baby farms to stamp out abuse. And um, shockingly, it didn't stop because, you know, they didn't deal with the problem about it, why it was happening. Uh, about two years after Amelia's execution, so that's 1898. Railway workers were inspecting carriages at Newton Abbott in Devon, and they found a parcel. What was in the parcel, you asked? A dead baby. Why a three... A dead baby? No, a live baby. Oh, that's good. It was a a three-week-old girl um, who was cold and wet but alive, and the daughter of a widow, Jane Hill, had given her baby to a Mrs. Stewart for 12 pounds. She had picked the baby up at Plymouth and apparently dumped her on the next train. The rumor went around that the that Mrs. Stewart was Polly, the daughter of Amelia Dyer. So, just to prove to you that this isn't a like standalone case, like it seems really bad, but there were at least six baby farmers hanged in England, uh, one in Scotland, and one in Wales over forty years from eighteen seventy to nineteen o nine. So the first one was um, Margaret Waters, who was thirty five, hanged in hung in Surrey. Hanged in Surrey um, on the 11th of October, 1870, for the murder of one child. Anne Took, who is 40, hung in Exer on the 11th of August, 1879. She was uh, executed for the murder of one child, for a six-month-old child. Jesse King, 27, was hung at Carlton Prison in Edinburgh, the 11th of March, 1889, for murdering of one child who she strangled and buried in her cellar there was amelia and then ida chard williams 24 who was hung hanged at newgate prison in london by again james billington um 6th of march 1900 she was actually the last woman hung at hanged at newgate um then we have annie walters and amelia satch who are called the fitchley baby farmers they became the first the women to be, yeah, to be hung at uh, London's new women's prison at Holloway, the 3rd of February, um, 1903. Then you have Rhoda Williams, another Rhoda, uh, f- who is 44, known as Leslie James, who was hung at Cardiff Prison the 14th of August, 1907, for the murder of a one-day-old girl. So this isn't, it's not a singular problem, it's a societal problem that I think we've dealt with, but... Yeah. I'm sorry, Rachel. <laughs> Can I come back for a happier one? Where they yeah. all live? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you can come back. Um, and we'll let you tell a story then, because I know you have one that's pretty good. So I hope. We'll see. There's... there's <laughs> so the- I have to warn you. I think there's some dead babies in that one, too. Why so many dead babies? Because those dead babies were trying to take over the throne. Okay, so 
We're going to go to Podcast Corner. Next week will be Review Corner, so make sure you write a review on iTunes, or if you write it somewhere else, we just don't have access to them, so just email them to us, send us on Twitter, Facebook. We really appreciate reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. So, But this week for uh, Podcast Corner, we have the podcast Murderous Minors, Killer Kids um, by War Baby, which now I realize how appropriate this is, and I'm really sorry. but War Baby does an excellent job on re- doing a really well-researched case. And don't worry, there normally isn't graphic detail on dead children. They're normally just the children who kill. So listen to her promo. This is Murderous Minors, Killer Kids, bringing you the frightening and truly insane tales of children with the thirst to kill. Kindergarten through 12th grade murderers. True stories thoroughly researched. Join us weekly for new tales of parents' worst nightmares on Murderous Minors, Killer Kids. Okay, so now that you're all excited to go listen to Murderous Minors, um, I'm going to close us out. So thank you for listening to The Cult of Domesticity. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Chorus, Spotify, and Podbean. If we're not on your preferred app, first of all, how are you listening? Um, second of all, just email us so we can get on whatever app you want us to be Psychic on. Psychic wavelengths. Uh telekinesis Mm -hmm. yeah we'll psychically send psychically send it to you um and remember to rate review and subscribe on itunes or wherever you listen to help spread the word just you know force your friends to listen that's what i do uh and don't forget to check us out on facebook and twitter at domestic podcast or at the cult of domesticity on instagram this is also in the show notes so if you're confused um we have there the episode tip off recipe of the week and additional information about the week's topics. So pictures, fun quotes. If you would like to suggest a recipe or a topic and get a shout out, email us at domesticpodcast at gmail.com. We also now have merch. So check out our social medias um, or go to threadless.com and search for the cult of domesticity. Some really awesome t-shirts, mugs, phone cases, all sorts of stuff on there. So Rachel, high five. High five.